Welcome to the Not Rich Yet podcast, where we have meaningful discussions on all things money, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen. I'm a financial journalist, and I have over six years of experience in the media industry. Our guest today is Maggie Gomez. Maggie is a certified financial planner who previously worked at Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley, and E-Trade. She left her six-figure job as a financial professional to start her own business called Money with Maggie, where she uses her skills to help clients thrive financially. On top of that, she's been featured in Forbes, Time Magazine, and NerdWallet. Maggie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jasmine. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. You have so many wonderful experiences that um, I'm very excited to dive right into. But first, let's start off with a little more background on you. What were your early beginnings like and how has that influenced the work you do today? So I would say that I grew up, um, you know, not very, the the opposite of wealthy. Um, We were very rich in love, but we did not have money growing up. Um, My mom basically raised us as a single parent. My dad was an alcoholic in and out of jail until he died when I was 16. And it was really, really devastating because he just, I mean, as much as he wreaked havoc on our lives while he was living, it was still like, he was still our dad and my mom's husband. And it was really sad. So through that process and just seeing my mom really struggle to kind of pick up the slack of my dad and like working two jobs and always, always just be working. And it kind of left that feeling in my mind that life would just be easier with some more money. And then my mom would also say things along the way that planted some seeds. So my mom moved here from, moved to America from India and she instilled this deep love for America within me because she would always say in America, anything is possible. And I really believed that, but then she would also say things like, oh, that's for rich people or that's for rich people. Like, you know, that's not for us, that's for rich people. And so It was conflicting. Of course, I'm sure she was conflicted in her own thoughts because she moved to America for this American dream and then had to struggle her whole life. Um, But what I had set in my heart was that anything is possible. I clung to that and just the desire for more money and to just make it, make getting into that rich people circle or just like becoming, like figuring out what that, what she meant by that that became something that was important to me as I um, went to college and started like researching, like actually making money. And my big thing was like, how do I find a job that makes money? Like what kind of jobs make money and good money, high paying jobs. So that's kind of what set me to a Google search to find out what a financial professional is. And that led me to the banking industry. And from there, I learned about financial advising. And then it started to, to, I I eventually found my passion of like helping people manage their money. So that was, that's what started me down the finance path, like just working with money, learning about money, and then learning how to get good with money myself and then help other people get good with money. 
So once I moved past, like really got into the finance space, I started to see more and more that only wealthy people really had access to working with me as a financial advisor. And because we would only take clients that had a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars, but really 250 or 500,000 was more the sweet spot of somebody that you wanted to work with. So everyone else was kind of left in the dust and told to go Google it. And I was just, my heart was drawn to these people that were kind of turned away from the typical financial help, financial guidance. And so that's what led me to start my own business, Money with Maggie, where now it does not matter how much money you have or don't have. I will help you, whether it's like free through my YouTube channel or paid one-on-one -on -one services or my course or anything. So that's kind of the uh, uh, circle of how I got to where I'm at. Yeah, and it definitely um, seems just by looking through your website, your social media, it really seems like that idea that, you know, you were at these firms where they essentially wanted people who already had built up that really high net worth as mm -hmm. their clients. It seems like that has really become central to your mission and why you do what you do. And it's wild because, you know, I feel like we're also in a society where uh, a lot of people who do not yet have that high net worth kind of get blamed a lot. You know, like mm -hmm. professionals tell them all the time, like, it's your fault. You're not rich. It's your fault. You're poor. It's your fault. You're not saving money, but how can they learn to manage their money and grow their wealth if they're constantly being shut out of those opportunities that are already available to people who have those high net worths? Yeah. Yeah. And the conversation to begin with, because if you don't even know that, like what money management is, or to actually think about planning out how to spend your money because you haven't seen your parents do it you haven't seen like when I did my first budget that was like a foreign concept my mom had never done that I never seen that in my life I because I started like learning about this then I was like oh okay this is how you do it but that unless you're in that constant pursuit which you wouldn't even know you know so I think there's a big lack of education and the lack of knowledge, not just from the financial institutions, but it starts at home when we don't have, so that's where more understanding would come in from these people that are blaming, you know, and of course everyone has to take personal responsibility, but there is that aspect of like, well, you don't know what you don't know. If you don't even know that you should be saving a portion of your income because that's what you should be doing, but it's like, well, how do you know that unless somebody told you that? And yeah, there's a lot of problems, like a lot, a lot in the finance space and it drives me crazy. So that's definitely, it just motivates me even more to get in front of more people and be like, I can help you. you <laughs> there's help out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you don't know what you don't know. You know, that was definitely the case for me when I first started really growing my interest in personal finance and building wealth. You know, like my parents taught me that it was important to pay off your credit card bill every month. They taught me that it was important to save your money, save something from every single paycheck you get. 
Um, I knew that I had to pay my student loan balance down, but mm -hmm. I didn't know about investing. You know, I didn't know what the stock market was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what a mutual fund was or an index fund or a 401k or a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. um, there were so many things that I did not know. And, you know, it, of course, eventually I learned on my own. I did a lot of my own independent research and that mm -hmm. got me to where I am now. But for so many people, you know, they really don't know what steps they should be taking because it wasn't taught to them. It wasn't brought up within their families. Their parents don't know, especially mm -hmm. if their parents are immigrants, came here from another country, which mine did. And like you said, your mom is mm -hmm. from India as well. So, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we continue to see. And hopefully, you know, like we're trying to change that. Yes, yes, definitely. We have to be the ones that are like seeking how can we make a difference? How can we help more people? And especially with advertisers out there, like just going after us with that fervor of trying to get our money, it does make it really, really hard to keep any of it because there's constant ways to spend money just shown in front of you. Like, Instagram stories, it's like every third story is some sort of ad, I think. And it's like, uh, you really have to put your guard up and know that people are trying to get your money. You got to protect it. Absolutely. That is so perfectly said. Um, I feel like we could honestly have a whole episode just on, you know, the behavioral economics behind it all. Um, but then yeah. I feel like we would be here <laughs> all night long. <laughs> but one thing I really want to talk about, um, which you help a lot of your clients with um, investing, you know, mm -hmm. so I would really love to hear a little bit about your personal investing journey. Yeah. Investing is one of those things. It's like magic, but it, I mean, it, to me, I personally feel like it feels like magic when you get started, but it's terrifying because we work hard for our money, right? It's something you don't want to risk. You're nervous to lose it. You don't know anything about it starting out. And I felt the same exact way as anybody feels. And even when I was learning about it, and then I got even more confused because there are certain licenses that you have to take and get, obtain to become a financial advisor working for these brokerage firms. So the series seven, the series 66, I had my life health variable annuity, like all these different licenses to offer, to be in the position to legally offer financial advice. Um, and through that process, I mean, I studied, it was months, like I want to say eight months for, for a, the certifications, a couple of them. And then I just was more and more confused. The more I would learn, the more I would realize, oh my God, this is like a can of worms here. It's like, the more I know, the more questions I had. And it was really confusing. So I got to the point, I passed my exams, started working, I got hired and I was such a dream. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a financial advisor working for Morgan Stanley. But I could tell you, I was constantly confused and I was in the position to help clients with their money, but I was in the background, like learning more about them and how they even made money, like trying to do undercover work almost like, how did you get wealthy? I was always asking them questions and stuff, but mm -hmm. 
the way I really learned was through seeing, seeing the book knowledge in practical, in real life. So I would learn about stocks and funds and different types of mutual funds and indexes and all that stuff. But then seeing how it was like actually put together it with somebody's money. So hundreds of thousands of dollars clients would have, and it was invested and I would read their statements and it would all start to click, you know, the stuff that I learned in the books and then seeing it in real life and then trying to come up with solutions for the clients. It really, I was constantly um, running hypotheticals with the software that was available at Morgan Stanley. And I was using that to gain more and more knowledge. And so, and I took it really seriously. Like, of course, I'm going to help these clients as much as possible. And my mentor always told me that I know more than they do, even though I felt like still confused all the time. Um, but seeing it in real life and seeing the, the back, like the historical performance, like someone that's been invested for 20 years, that just gave me the confidence to just do it myself when I finally accumulated some money, which was very little at first. I think my first, um, my first time I actually purchased my own stocks, it was through, it was because I rolled over a 401k to an IRA and it was $5,000. And so I bought five stocks and because I was, you know, I accumulated that $5,000, but that was in a 401k that a financial advisor at the bank set up for me. I had no idea. He just like made the selections for me. Thank goodness. Cause I didn't know anything. Um, but then that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And that's what actually got me started. And now five years, six years later, it's like, whoa, you really see the power after you do it and you just keep putting money in. And then it encourages you to put more money in because it's, it becomes addicting because you're like, whoa, this is way more rewarding than just blowing all your money. Absolutely. And I really love what you said about, you know, it's one thing to read that knowledge on Google or read it in a book or hear a finance YouTuber say it, but then when you actually have to apply it in the real world and practice it, it becomes a totally different story. And usually that's where you actually learn. Mm -hmm. And I know that like over the last few years, so many people have had this experience with investing where, you know, they were hearing their favorite finance YouTubers talk about how to invest, reading investing books and things like that. And then downloading the apps for themselves and starting to play around with small amounts of money and really nailing those processes of like, okay, I just deposited money into my account. Now I have to actually invest it so it can grow. Here's how I place an order for a trade, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, actually doing it is a huge part of that learning process mm -hmm. and you know maybe a little bittersweet right now because we've been seeing some huge market swings um, <laughs> mm -hmm. over the last several months um, and for many younger investors this is actually their first time dealing with this much market volatility mm -hmm. and large dips for themselves and when you experienced your first market dip as an investor, you did something that 
didn't end up going the way you thought it would. Uh, could you talk a little bit about what was going on at that time and what ended up happening? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was shortly after I bought my first five stocks and, you know, learning that you need to just don't sell, hold on to things. Well, in real life practice, that becomes really difficult. You really have to have a grasp of your emotions. And I hadn't developed that skill set yet. So what I did was I, is that, that's what you're talking about, right? The five stocks. Okay. Um, so when I, uh, when the market started to drop, I think that it was like around Brexit time. I can't remember exactly what was happening, but the market was dropping and it wasn't a huge crash or anything. It's just a blip on the radar now, but this was my first time experiencing, like seeing the money in my account go down below 5,000 that I had put in. And so then I started really freaking out because I was like, oh my gosh. And then the media was making it even worse. I remember seeing Kramer on the news or just on TV because our office would play. I was working at E-Trade at this time, but um, our office would play the um, financial media in the background and we could see like what's going on and everything. And Kramer was there. Oh wait, no. So, okay. So what I did before this Kramer story was I took, when the stock started to drop, I just took everything and I sold it all and put it into Amazon because I was freaking out. And then I was like, Amazon's reporting earnings tomorrow. They're going to do really good, of course, because it's Amazon. And so then I, I, that was my first mistake, like selling and just buying one stock. So then I was like, okay, but I should make the money back because this is Amazon. And then the next day, Amazon reported earnings. And instead of doing well, uh, they did poorly, at least for earnings report, however that went at that time. And the stock dropped, I think, 15% in one day. That's if I remember right. But that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I was just felt so crushed. Because now instead of making money, I've like just made my losses even worse. And so I just felt terrible. And then I saw Kramer on TV and he was like, owning Amazon is like catching a falling knife. So I was like, oh no, this is the worst. It's going to go down even further. So then I sold all of it. <laughs> I sold it all. And which oh, we're talking $5,000, which maybe was like, I don't know if it dropped to 4,000 or 3,000 or something at this point with my, you know, selling. And then I just put it in Facebook. I was like, forget it. I, I'm grounding myself because I knew I messed up from selling. And so I just put it in Facebook and it has definitely rebound. I mean, that's way more than, it's probably over 10,000 right now, but um it would have been like 20 some thousand. I sat down one time and did the math and I was like, oh my God, this would be, my earnings would have been like doubled or something if I would have just stayed with my original five stocks. But it, it was a lesson learned in, especially in emotions. I'm so glad I had that experience because I was able to feel what people feel when they're investing. And especially when they're investing, when the markets are down, like they are currently, and it's, it can be really scary, especially if you don't have anybody to reach out to and to tell you what to do. At least I had had a few years of experience at this point and read a bunch of stuff. So I at least had the book knowledge, 
it was just a matter of managing my emotions at that point. Yeah, I really think that, uh, you know, your experience speaks a lot to how difficult it can be to overcome our own psychology when we're faced mm -hmm. with these kinds of situations where it feels like they're just demanding immediate action, you know, because like you said, you're like watching your portfolio drop and all you can think is, oh my gosh, I need to do something now mm -hmm. to like, you know, save myself from having more losses. Although yeah. in this situation, um, you know, holding on to what you owned probably would have, like you said, helped you not yeah. for their losses. Yes. Yeah. It would have been a way better move. It would have been just a blip on the radar with just a drop and then things bounce back. But I knew that on paper, but feeling the loss of money is an actual real painful thing. So now I could really empathize with clients much better than I would have been able to had I never had that personal experience. And even though it was a small amount to me, it was a large amount because it was like almost the most I've ever saved. And I think, and so it's painful to see that just drop in like 15 minutes, you know? That's also such another really important part of the part about it that I don't think a lot of people talk about enough. You know, the fact that so many, for so many people, you know, they're literally sometimes watching like half their net worth mm -hmm. fall just mm -hmm. like that. You know, like they've been diligently investing their money while also saving and having an emergency fund on the side. But it's still really painful because you think about the number of overtime hours you worked to earn oh. that extra money. You know, yeah. the times where maybe you're working two different jobs so you mm -hmm. could reach your goals faster, the things you've had to give up in order to, you know, take on an extra shift to have more money, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what you're watching, like kind of fall and feel as though it's like disappearing into thin air. So, you know, it's totally understandable that like you have this feeling and anyone has this feeling of like, I need to do something now. Mm hmm. Yeah, it is really, it gets, it gets you in your head because you're just staring and you want to be in control. And these are things you really cannot control. You can't, there's nothing you can do except position yourself well to start out with and trust that you did all you can do, except now you have to ride the roller coaster and don't get on a really scary roller coaster if you can't handle it. Um, but sometimes you, you just learn from it. And that has prepared me so well for this drop and for the 2020, the pandemic, when it dropped in, I want to say March, it was down like 37% in just two weeks. I think it was like so fast. And then it recovered. I think that whole drop was like a three month process, like time frame. And had I not had that experience, I I leaned on that experience to just stay put because if you sell, I wouldn't have recovered, you know, it recovered fully within three months. So if we sold and now at that point we had over $500,000 at that, even 600,000, I think at that point that was just in 2020. 
And so had I not had that experience with $5,000, I would have blown it at 500,000, you know? So that's why the importance of starting small is so important because it will teach you lessons that you will pull from later when your portfolio is bigger. Absolutely. I love the way you put that. And, you know, as you just alluded to, um, with mentioning your like $600,000 invested, uh, despite that experience, you did end up using that very same power of investing to reach that Mm $600,000 portfolio. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you did that in about five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, We had luck on our side because the stock market from when we started, aside from those little bumps, was just, it's just had a huge run up. And so it was part timing, but part consistency of putting all of my extra money, all of it, and keeping my expenses super low. And like I said, it became addicting to just get more money in because the market was doing well. And so it kept me motivated to keep my bills really low, to not buy another car, to hang on to my 1999 car, you know, to like share, like share, live in a small place with my boyfriend when, when I had him move in with me, like we could have moved into his apartment. It was nicer. It was more bougie, but I was like, no, we have, if we're going to start being a relationship, we're going to start this like really strong or like, if we're going to be serious And so I had him move into my small house. It was the rent was, or the mortgage was $900 a month. So we were each paying like 450. Yeah. And so we were able to save everything. And so that really helped. And before he moved in, I, I had a roommate, you know, and a daughter. So I always, and like before that I was in an apartment with a roommate and my daughter, like I've really been committed to keeping my expenses low. And not everyone has to do that. You don't have to be like super duper penny pinching. But for me, it was so important to get some money on my side. Like I was just driven. Like I did not want to be broke my whole life. Absolutely not. So I just did that. And at that same time, the market did phenomenal. So it was like that, that the meeting of this, like that's that magic point. And we're going to experience that again. And it could even be a good starting point right now. If somebody's just starting out markets down over 20%, you start consistently putting money in for the next five, 10 years. Oh my gosh. It's life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you brought up both consistency because, you know, you can't just throw your money in one time and expect it to, you know, grow to millions, Um, not unless you're investing like half a million in one fail swoop. Um, Consistency is so important. Um, Even if you're only investing, you know, a hundred dollars a month, $50 a month, because when you start off small like that, you're building that muscle to have that habit of investing. So when you get a salary increase, Mm -hmm. when you get your bonus or whatever the case may be, you already have that practice in place. So now when you get that salary increase, you're already all automatically going to put that money into your investments. Yes, exactly. And that is really what will be the 
life-changing thing because I've seen so many, and this was, this was when I was really decided that's it. I'm going to start my own business because I saw so many beginners, people that would call in. I'm, I just have a thousand dollars. And when you're broker of the day, like financial advisor of the day, you get to answer the inbound calls at the last firm I worked at. And what you're looking for is that million dollar client. That's like, oh, I'm over at whatever firm I'm going to come over. Can you help me with the transfer? Like, that's what you're hoping for when you pick up the phone um, on your broker of the day call. But in reality, you get like mostly people saying, hey, I just put in $1,000 or $500. I'm just starting out. I don't know what to do. And most advisors send these people to the call center immediately, like, oh, let me transfer you to the call center. And the call center people just help them with the logistics of like opening the account and all of that. But because I started to be really curious, like what does happen? Like, what are these people doing? So I started really taking some time and talking to these people that were just starting out. And they would typically say, I'm going to invest in pot stocks. This was uh, several years ago when pot stocks were the thing. Now it's like cryptocurrency. But like then for the beginner, they were like, we want to get into pot stocks or whatever. And what they would do is put all of their money, like their $500,000, their starter amount in this one thing. And it was super risky. And then they said, they're just going to wait and see what happens. And I heard this over and over and over and over. And I was like, this is not, this is not going to make anybody money. <laughs> And what it's going to do is lose people money and then give them a bad feeling for investing. And then they're not even going to invest. I just can see it playing out. And so that's when I was like, people need educated because this is not, this is not how you do it. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, putting all of your risk mm -hmm. into one asset is a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. So as a financial professional, what are some other mistakes around investing that you've seen people make frequently and what should they do differently to either course correct or avoid it altogether? Okay. Um, one thing I see a lot is people opening up um, an IRA either to move money from their 401k to their IRA or just putting money in and then they think they're investing. You have to actually purchase investments within that IRA. Otherwise it's sitting in cash. So that's one thing. And people will do that and leave the money in there for years. I've seen this where they've like, oh, I did not know because it appears that it's invested because it, it's usually in a money market fund. So you might think it looks like it's in something of an investment. It's not, it's sitting in cash. So that's one major thing I see a lot. Um, another thing I see, the, the opposite of buying one is buying way too many things. So sometimes I see people with like 20 or 30, some investments with like, you know, they'll take their money and split it up so thin that nothing can gain any traction. You're, we've got way too much, too little in too many things. And it's a nightmare to manage. Like if you think about the review process, like how do you decide when to sell? If you have like way too many things, it's a nightmare. So having too many things is another huge mistake. Um, not understanding fees and knowing or thinking you're not paying fees. I hear this a lot with even in a 401k, um, you're paying fees in your 401k. It just might be hidden inside mutual funds, 
you're never going to see a fee come out of your account if you're in mutual funds. It's taken out like daily in a tiny fragment and you'll never see it. So run like entering in to Google what your investments are and finding out the fees and then seeing if there's lower cost options that have the same or better performance. Mm. Um, and then just not taking it seriously, like just putting some money in and seeing what happens, create a plan, put money in every single paycheck. Like you buy coffee, you buy, uh, you know, Netflix every single month. Like there's things that we do every single month consistently, no matter what investing needs to be one of those things. If you plan, if you expect to ever have results from it, you've got to put money in because in the beginning, and this is what I always tell people because people want to put money in and see it grow and then do something. But in the beginning, you have to remember that the majority of your account's growth is going to come from your own deposits in the very beginning. It will be later. You keep doing that consistently. And then there will be a shift where your account starts to grow more and more from compounding and from your investments than from how much you're putting in. But unless you get over that hump, you will never experience that. So you've got to keep putting money in so that it grows to the point where the growth takes off and happens on its own. Absolutely. I think those are like some major key things that I see people messing up or forgetting to do. We have just a few minutes left. So I would love to hear your parting advice for individuals who really want to get to a place where they've built up that six figure or even seven figure investment portfolio. Um, wait, I'm sorry. Can you ask that again? Sure. So I'd love to hear your parting advice for individuals who want to get to that place where they've built up that six figure or even seven figure investment portfolio. Okay. So the key is to get started. Even if it's a hundred dollars, you've got to actually put the money in a, an account, click buy on some investments start learning, start making mistakes, start losing money, but keep on going and learn from your mistakes and seek out advice. Um, learn from people that have done it. You know, that's where I was learning was watching all of my clients who have already been investing for forever and just kind of copying them. And it's like, if they made money doing it, I can probably make money doing it. It's not something you have to master. There's no super great investments out there that other people don't know about that you're just going to somehow break the bank with. You just get into normal investments and be consistent with it and believe in yourself and work to put more and more inside there because you'll be surprised at how little you miss the money that you're investing. So um, one other thing is when you're when you are putting money aside, Sometimes it, in the beginning, it can feel like you're sacrificing, like, oh, I don't get to go out to dinner or whatever. If you shift your mind frame to it being like, don't think of what you're giving up, but think more towards what you're gaining when you actually get the money invested. Because yeah, you, you could be giving up a dinner now for 10 dinners later, you know, and the freedom to not have to be even budgeting for dinner. Like 
if you don't start doing it now, it's like, when are you going to do it? So I guess those are the key things I would tell people to think about and just get started. Even if it's intimidating and nerve wracking, there's so many resources right now and firms have made it easier and easier for anyone to start investing and there's YouTube to help you out too. So check out my channel. <laughs> Maggie, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your advice. Tell us where we can find you on social media and YouTube. Yeah, Money with Maggie. And that's everywhere. YouTube, Instagram is where I primarily hang out. And my, my website is moneywithmaggie.com to learn more about my actual course it's an investing course for beginners that takes you from start to finish with investing and makes it super simple if you do want some guidance. So that is there. And yeah, send me an email if you have any questions. Amazing. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Not Rich Yet podcast. Hit the subscribe button so Spotify or Apple or whatever platform you normally listen on knows that you enjoyed this podcast. And so I know you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure you're keeping up with us on Instagram so you can be the first to know when a new episode airs. We also post some resources that you can use along your wealth building journey. We're on Instagram as at notrichyetpod. And if you want to give me a follow too, I will not say no to that. I'm on Instagram as at thejasminesu, T-H-E-J-A-S-M-I-N-S-U. I do all the planning and sourcing and emailing and interviewing but this podcast couldn't happen without a few extra hands. Not Rich Yet is produced by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and edited by Will Tarashak, founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and the founder of Willie T Productions. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen, and I'll be back with more next week.